0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ruby Rogues. I'm Dave Kamira, and today on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. And now, And we have a special guest, Ryan Ong. Hello. So, Ryan, would you mind giving us the top-level introduction of who you are and kind of what you've been doing and why you're famous and all that good stuff? <laughs> why
1: well, I'm famous, yeah. Um... Let's see, I am a staff software engineer at Ruby Software. We do donation management systems. Uh, there's only one other company that makes them, so we're in a good place to, to do better than them. Um, I've been a programmer since I was 12, putzing around with PHP, and then slowly going into Ruby. Um, I've worked at Pivotal, focusize, really specialized in product and engineering management, whatever that is, for development, making dreams come true, that's the best way to put it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's my history of programming, basically leading teams and building them from scratch
0: for the most part. Awesome. And so how long have you been doing Ruby? I've been doing Ruby for since I was 22. So 14 years now, basically. All right. Yeah. That's a good amount of time. So did you start with Ruby or did you dive into Rails first? Cause I think Rails came out- <clears throat> Yeah, a little bit before then.
1: Yeah, Rails was at two point one or two point two back then. Um, and I joined a company as a technical advisor, technical assistant, supposed to do like emails and stuff like that. Then he found out I could program, and so he paid me to learn Ruby and
0: Rails. And so I just worked on this little app. I've been programming since then. Really left out. Yep. That's awesome. So which one do you prefer more, Ruby or PHP? Oh,
1: Ruby. Um, <laughs> PHP back then was a real mess. Your error messages were unlegible. They really didn't have good debugging solutions. Your IDEs options were limited. You had like Zend IDE. Um, yeah, and then the community, as you know, is part the most important part of any language is pretty uh, splintered. They're really... Isn't one you have like a good support community, but there's no good library community. for The most part, I think that's mm-hmm. changed with Symphony and a couple others, uh, Rails-like softwares that have come out, Laravel and stuff like that. But when I was around, there wasn't so much.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, today we had you on, and I think our main topic is emotional programming. Uh, or something of that nature, would you mind giving us the high-level overview of what that is, why it matters, and why we should adopt something like that? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like
1: as programmers, we're really good at the logic of things. We're really good, really heady people. And there's a real joy in exploring heady problems. Um, But at the same time, uh, when we only think about how to solve the problem, sometimes we don't do a great job of communicating it. We live in our own head and, and don't have this other idea. And when we're programming, we'll also this it's a team experience. You know, usually you're working on a team with other people, and um, you feel things when you're writing code, and these can really influence how you choose to write code or just how to respond to code. Um, I think we can start off with the idea of writing code if when you're writing code, you can feel when it's bad. Like you, you feel bad. You feel angry. Like they, they say, you know, you write with anger or code with anger. I think that's a good example of like, you, you're upset at the way things have been designed and you really want to change it. And, and the anger is the impetus to actually put something forward and being aware of that is important. I think you can also get out of hand sometimes when you get so focused on trying to make this thing better, you don't get the work done. Um, And sometimes you really just have to bite the bullet and just be okay with this bad code because you have other deadlines in in mind and being aware of how these things, uh, being aware of where you're at while you're responding to this code is important. I think on top of that, uh, you can tell how other, or at least I can tell how other people were feeling when they were writing the code. Um, When you're reading someone else's code, like if you've ever joined a project that's kind of been stressed, they've been a startup, and they've been doing rounds and changing and pivoting every three to four months with short deadlines, you can see how uncared for the code is. And it doesn't feel good to work in that environment. It's just a little stressful. And everything's disorganized and stuff like that. And uh, that, that makes it hard. And it's, and it's nice when you can tell when a code base is loved and cared for because it's easy to move around. Everything's logically ordered. Everything makes sense. Um, there's a general level of consistency and communication and just like small little things and niceties throughout the code that you can tell. And I think it's, um, it's nice to be aware of how we're responding and how we can, not just, res- not how we're reacting, but how we choose to respond to it. And I think that can really affect the way we choose to build a code base and also how we work with each other.
2: I've just ran into this same thing recently where I was looking at a code base uh, that I was looking to adopt, like a new library. And looking at the code, I was just like, you know, it was satisfying to read through, so made so much sense, you know, uh, everything was where I had expected it to be. And uh, it made me want to use that library more, right? Uh, and there are some. Libraries will open and be like, "Uh, you know, it's popular, but it it looks like a mess. (laughs) And it makes me not want to use that library. And I'll prefer something a little more simplistic or uh, maybe it's more structured a little better. Uh, And it really is a feeling. And I, you know, I get that too, just like diving into new code bases, like you're saying. And, uh, you know, that feeling is really important, um, at, at least to me. And I know it, This whole thing really reminds me of like, uh, you know, how burnout happens, right? Like, and people get overwhelmed and it can oftentimes just be what you're stuck in, (laughs) right? And, uh, I know oftentimes like even just refactoring something that I have to work in that is a mess just because of technical debt or whatever it might be, just even doing a small refactor to make my life better right because it would make makes me feel better knowing oh oh at least this piece you know I know it, it works a little bit better and uh, other people come in will feel a little better as well uh, and you're so right' it's like it's it's a it's a metric I feel like isn't isn't monitored <laughs> do you, yeah. do you have any suggestions for like how to go about monitoring that kind of uh, you know, aspect of, of a code base?
1: <laughs> I think one thing that can help is, um, I think, first understanding where, being aware of where you are now or where your culture is at this point, or what, like, your norms for um, pain or unpleasantness is. Um, I read a, White paper a while back, psychology white paper, talking about how humans feel four core emotions and everything else is kind of built around those four core emotions, um, just layers and complexity and context. And the four core emotions are like can be viewed at two axes, but for the most part, you can feel both at the same time. Um, it's pleasant, unpleasant, activated, and calm. And I think breaking down how you're approaching anything in life, but in this context, code because this is what we're talking about. I think it's useful to understand. Like at any given moment, you can say, "Like, am I activated, calm, unpleasant, pleasant?" And, and that's a good way to be to move through it in general for awareness. I find that a lot of startups tend to come up, or especially younger engineers, especially those who went through boot camp, <clears throat> have a high tolerance for unpleasantness. Um, it's just like. It's part of like the culture of startups and, and boot camp is to burn yourself out. It's like burning the midnight oil is a badge of honor and something we should tolerate and not only tolerate, but aim for. Um, and I think that tends to affect the code that we're writing. And it's probably one of the biggest failings of ICU junior engineers or engineers who come out of startups is like this desire and to prioritize the feature getting done over the quality that's written in, in it's a short-sighted viewpoint. It's not even a viewpoint, but a belief in the way things should get done. And understanding where your beliefs lie is what your tolerance is, is kind of how you begin to bring bring awareness to what you actually need to change in order to bring it into right feeling. I don't know how to explain it, but like, what is the appropriate feeling for your company state or the desires or the goals that you have? Like, I understand in a startup that is and stress or needs to pivot maybe you should be burning midnight oil if your livelihood is depending on it or if you're making a big bet and you think it's worthwhile to take this risk but if you're working at a JP Morgan or if you're working at like a Citibank maybe you should take a break a little and not stress so much about how much you're working about this project this isn't you're not going to get a raise because you got it on deadline on time most of the time you'll get a raise because you're you said you set expectations clearly beforehand. And so, a lot of the times, one thing that can help is set reasonable expectations for what you're doing. Like, don't say that you're going to be a hero and get this stuff done. You're not going to get accolades for that, unfortunately. Usually, management, or from what I, my experience, is you'll get accolades when you can be cons- deliver consistently and do what you say. Um, and most product people or managers and will appreciate that more than anything else. Does that answer your question? <laughs>
2: yeah i think so i mean it's i think it's a hard issue to quantify (laughs) um and mostly because i feel like uh you know in the programming world it's you know you push your emotions out of the way and focus on you know the logical steps that you're tasked with right uh yeah but uh, i feel like it's it's still you know Everybody does have like feelings with their work, right? And so like you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. And so I'm I'm curious too like how does uh you know, have you noticed anything like uh like signals that you can pick up from other other people's work as they're going through that kind of say, oh like they're feeling a specific way when they are submitting something, right? Like can you what are some ways that you gauge that and and try and like, you know, resolve maybe some some things out of it?
1: Yeah, I was trained. Most of my uh, training comes from Pivotal Labs, where we paired 100% of the time. And um, so after a period of a year and a half, you got pretty good at reading other people's emotions or working with them. Pivotal hired, uh, one of the number one traits Pivotal hired for was empathy, which I really appreciate. And it's an interesting thing to hire for an engineer. But it makes sense in terms of consultant or someone who's pairing all the time. It really helps you train or be aware of the current situation and how to make it better when you're pairing. Um, I think when you're pairing with someone else or working with someone else, it's pretty easy to be aware of where you're at. whoever you're pairing with is end up going to be a mirror with where you are, whether you like it or not, you're going to be working on the same problem. If you get frustrated, they're going to get frustrated or at least you're going to notice how they're not frustrated and you're frustrated. It's like, why aren't you frustrated? Uh, <laughs> which is a good way to go about it. Um, pairing has many benefits and definitely i an evangelist of it. Um, but it, it's one of those, it's more of the sneaky ones that you get from it. Um, Yeah, I think in general, just you can learn how to read other people's feelings or emotions from pairing. Just try to be a bit more aware of it. And you can kind of see when they're coding, whether they're rushing, whether they're slowing down, whether they're choosing to take a big picture. You'll notice when people get into rabbit holes about things. And as someone gets into a rabbit hole, you'll notice that they'll hyper focus on one problem and trying to fix this one small thing, which may not matter at all. But it's just like, this is a problem I'm trying to solve, which is like really useful, but also um, maybe not necessary. So yeah, I think an awareness of when working with someone, it's pretty easy to have an awareness of where you're at because they are a mirror in some way or form. And it's hard to ignore them if you're talking with them. You're just, as humans, we're designed to be aware of these emotions and just leaning into those that, that sense of, of caring about this other person, having this empathy. Um, I think is is important. And I think also just having empathy when you're writing your code. Like, why are you writing this code? Who you're writing it for? Are you writing it to solve a job or are you writing it for the next developer who's going to come along? And it's like, oh, I want to be nice to the next developer who's come along, who's most likely going to be you. Um, i want to be nice to myself in the future. And that means taking my time and being a Boy Scout about this and leaving better than you found it.
2: Yeah, I think about a lot that a lot with like open source, right? Like uh, you know, how can you and that's a, c- kind of its own beast because, you know, ha- as a maintainer, it's one form of empathy to like be considerate and of people trying to, you know, contribute to your project, but at the same time, you know, conveying that, you know, certain expectations uh for the you know, the code base and you know uh, milestones and things like that uh, for the project are already set up uh, you know maybe a big refactor to a specific thing uh, doesn't make sense in this context like how do you right like balance that in, in an open source world is is very hard, especially because you're not pairing for the most time and maybe that's the solution is to offer pairing <laughs> on, on things to get better uh, you know understanding um, but I, I'm curious if you have any ideas for that like how to, uh frame open source projects better to be kind of more receptive to that uh, emotional <laughs> intelligence because oh, <laughs> that's one thing i definitely struggle with <laughs> is how to like you know set proper expectations but also like uh how to not just like come across as you know shooting somebody down where i am considerate of their uh contribution you know and you could say it as much as you want but if somebody submits something and you know, it's declined. It generally is not a great emotion. <laughs> I know personally, right? But <laughs> how how does that, you know, how do you resolve that kind of thing?
1: I think that's probably one of the large questions of engineering of our current generation, or just ever. Um I think it's a large problem of politics in general. Like how do we even solve this in like At the end of the day, these are just shapes of power, uh, open source and stuff like that. We see those exist also in nonprofits being like, oh, anyone can come and help. And even not in a nonprofit, but like thinking of of an open space, like um, a community garden. How do we manage this community garden? How do we care for this and stuff like that together? Um, I think community gardens actually do a great job of bringing people in, being like, oh, if you want to contribute, you have to go to this This intro day, and you have to get this buy-in. You have to consider someone a member in order for them to be worthwhile of contributing and helping out and understanding and caring for everyone else who's using this project. Um, I think that works for smaller projects. I'm not sure if that works for larger projects like Rails and stuff like that. But I think in the beginning, it's often that you don't have any members besides the maintainer working on this project and getting other maintainers would be basically the other members having other people co-create and co-care about this thing. I don't know what to do when it gets larger. That's Adam. I, I don't know how to handle large groups like that. Mm-hmm. Then you get into like... It's fascinating seeing how like Ruby has done it, how Rust has done it, because these are newer languages, how Python does it. like, like m- Ruby and Python almost work because they have a benevolent dictator of sorts. Um, the BDFL, Benevolent Dictator for Life, which I appreciate. Um, But both of them still have ways of communal power. Like the Benevolent Dictator there is there to solve any kind of open issues or make decisions that aren't there, that need to be made, that are a little bit hard, that like you end up bike-shedding if you go too long. And the bike-shedding ends with the Benevolent Dictator. But then you see things like Rust happen where there's no benevolent dictator and there is a big power struggle within the Rust community right now, which is interesting Um, of like Rust trademark, which is like (laughs) non-programmatic, but still a discussion that's happening and why that happened poorly. But also about API level stuff, that's always a discussion, like how the async discussion about how async would work within Rust took literally two years for anything to decide into its current format. And there's still people arguing about how it should work. and Like, how do you continue doing that? I don't know. I think Rust has done a great job. Ruby has done a good job too. I, I like the motto, Ruby is nice, because Matz is nice. <laughs> Having kindness built into any kind of belief framework or political framework I think is important without it kind of lost into conflict.
0: And so I think the key point here and it's not the solution to everything because you'll always have bad actors in any kind of community. Always, But it is relationships. And so in your example, the community garden, if I just see the vegetables, so I see like a big corn stalk or something and if I'm hungry, it's very easy for me to just walk over there and grab someone's corn and you know take it in and eat it. But If I know the person, if I have a relationship with the person who took the time to prepare the ground, sow the seeds, care for the plants, I would have a much harder time to take what belongs to them because I have that relationship. And I think the same way applies to open source software because if we all hide behind our avatars and this kind of like anonymous, uh, garden that is the internet, then we are less humane towards one another. And so that's something where RailsConf recently passed. And I had the opportunity to go there for the first time. And I got to verbally speak with other people and meet people who I've always just known as a avatar and a username or handle. And so opening up that bridge to then form a human connection with them I think has greatly changed not only how I view that person you know for the better but also how we can then further the online relationship and so I've always kind of you know passed on the rails conferences and stuff in the past because I'm like oh well you know there doesn't look any I'm not interested in going this time. I don't want to travel and all that stuff. But having gone this past time, it's really opened up my eyes to this human aspect of relationships and how important it is uh, when we're dealing with open source communities and stuff. So,
1: yeah, it's really amazing the power of in person organizing and gathering. I remember in the beginning of becoming a Ruby developer. Going to Gotham Ruby conference was one of the biggest deals for me in terms of just being able to meet and interact with other Ruby people in New York. Ruby, the Ruby scene in New York was hilariously small, like 14 years ago. Like everyone at every Ruby office knew everyone at every other Ruby office. And like for some reason, everything spun out out of the Gilt group. Gilt group had like one of the biggest Ruby shops, and everyone kind of came out of there and built the rest of the Ruby community, like Brian Helmkamp, creator of Rack Test and stuff like that, so, uh, was at Gilt. Josh Knowles, who's the director for Pivotal, um, was out of there, and a bunch of other people kind of all used to work at Gilt came out of there, which was fascinating. And having that in person conference to connect these people felt a larger sense of community. It's like, oh, I actually like these people. Like, this is nice to be here. And I don't know if this applies to other conferences, but I've noticed at the Ruby conferences, people actually want to meet each other. Like they're really open to just hanging out and shooting the shit. Like I remember, um, I think at the first Gotham Ruby conference I went to, I ended up sitting next to Sandy Metz and being like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Ryan. And like, had no idea who she was and she was just super nice. And I, well, she gave a really nice talk. And then afterwards, like, why don't you work at like a big company or something like that? She was working at like University of Ohio or something like that. She's like, I get to do what I want. I don't need to join a big corporation. It's like, okay, I'm just I was like twenty-two at a startup. It was so funny. But they're so nice and she was so nice to me, like just still kind, even though I was saying very um, young and ignorant things, which I appreciate. I felt like everyone was at about about that at Ru at the Ruby conferences.
0: Uh I'm well past my young age. And I still say <laughs> stupid ignorant things a lot. <laughs> so it, it doesn't get any better, and it actually gets worse as you introduce kids because mm-hmm. then the, uh, you know, in my case, like the dad jokes enter in, and then we just almost like digress twenty years and go back to the <laughs> stupid, ignorant phase again. So yeah, that's where absolutely. I'm at right now: is the inappropriate trolling and messing with the kids, gaslighting them, and stuff. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, talking about the
1: the organizations and, and the communities uh, one thing i'm always fascinated about also is like how do we change the culture because like as we're talking about as i was talking about before like we as individuals have a lot of agency over our own actions and that's nice but let's say you're working in an open source code base or part of a community like what do you do when it when you're feeling bad about it, like, do you just do nothing and just take it? Do you just leave and find someplace better, or do you like, or do you find that you have power, enough power or influence to actually change the organization or the community that you're in? Um, as I was saying earlier, I really do believe it's easier to change a community than it is to change an individual. Like, maybe you only have a problem with one person, and that person is just being real mean to you. Like, you could talk to that person, but usually at this point, they're not really interested in. At this point, they're probably not interested in changing their behavior with you. And so, like, what do you do? I find that, like, going to, calling to the community, being like, is this an appropriate way to communicate with each other in general? Like, I don't know how to call it. I I think we always have more power than we think we do. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, there's always, we can always do things that we weren't aware of, or we didn't know that we could influence by just, and and we have to become aware of them or figure out what they are. There's always opportunity. And I think being a part of community, I don't, I don't think many people are aware of how much the influence they have in part of the community, if you're willing to step up and call it out. Like, hey, I want to create a norm. I think most people are willing to to be interested in talking about if it's a norm or not. That's
0: essentially what culture is. It's what a group of people find to be the normal thing. And I think that if there is some kind of behavior in a community... um, So I'm going to go back and quote this horrible movie that's completely awesome, Idiocracy. You can either lead, (laughs) follow, or get out the way. And I really think that's what it is a lot of people have chosen to get out of the way or just leave the community as soon as something bad or controversial happens. And yeah, that'll solve your immediate problem, but it's not going to change this from happening again. So by getting involved in your community to help change what is perceived as normal is how you change culture. You know, it's not going to happen overnight because it's going to take a while for people to realize, okay, this is normal. But it's possible, even as you said, like even that small junior developer at a large corporation has a lot more power than they realize just through getting involved and helping change what is perceived as normal. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I, I think that a lot of people who have a job or are feel beholden to follow the cultural norms um, because they don't want to risk their job and their livelihood for it um, i've always I've, i definitely feel of a certain amount of privilege being a staff knowing that i have more power than most or uh, the ability to leave and find another job pretty easy but uh, even as a junior i'd still do my best to make small acceptable changes like you already know what the norm is and asking for small things is, doesn't hurt um, like bringing it up in a public forum, being like, "Hey, what is the best way to do something?" Like literally just asking questions is so powerful. Um, being like, "Is this how we've always done it?" It's like, yeah, it's like, why? Why do we do it this way? And and usually, just asking the why we do it this way will cause a dramatic shift of people being like, "That's a really good question. I don't I don't know why. It's like, can we change it? Like, who who do we need to convince to change it? Like." Know who has the power, and if it's all of you, great—you don't have to convince everyone. All of you are already in, but if it's someone else, then like bring them into the conversation and go from there. Um, it it is—you don't have to like. Doesn't take much to like poke a poke a buffalo kind of thing, or poke a line, as they say. It's like just asking questions about what you think is acceptable. Like if something's weird, being like, "This feels weird." Can someone help me with this? And then maybe they'll explain to you. Maybe there is a good reason, which is even better. That's when you learn. But if there isn't, then there's room for change, which is always nice. Or you learn more about why it needs to change. I'm like, okay, so we need to change this thing first. And like, what is it? The Yak shaving? It's like how you have to go all the way down. <laughs> but I feel like you have to yak shave culture too. So like why? why do we have this norm of of being stressed out. Why can't we take more time? What is the issue that's going on here? Yak shaving
0: things politically is just as important as yak shaving things technically. So I remember like 10 years ago, Ernie Miller created Development.org and i think it covers a lot of this where you know the basic captions is we are humans working with humans to develop software for the benefit of humans so i'll link to it it's pretty cool oh this is amazing this reminds me
1: of like a uh, old school agile manifesto level stuff hey yeah, yeah, yeah. that's super cool I always want like I love these beliefs. I wish there was a bit more of a guide in how to like enact change. Like it's like, okay, this is what we believe, but but how do we go through that? And I think this is one of those first steps. So it's like, can we agree on this manifesto? Can we agree on this one community principle of of humane development or or whatever you wish to call it? Then if you don't agree with it, then why aren't we making that change? It's a nice way to go about
0: it. So uh, let's try to put this into some examples. Have you ever been in a situation where there was a process at your work, uh, a previous employer if you wanted or wherever, where you didn't like the process and then you tried to uh, make an effort to change it? And how'd you go about that? And were you successful? Because we're not always going to succeed at changing something to be the what, the culture that we want it to be. Yeah.
1: I I have a tendency going into companies, um, pitching myself as the cleaner. I'm going in and kind of cleaning up old code, cleaning up code debt, uh, changing processes and stuff like that. And um, I was at this company where everything was in controllers or models you know standard um rapid fire coding just putting everything where it can go without much thought it had no services and so i wanted to create a service oriented i wanted to just create service models for everything and so uh, <laughs> i saw that it solved the specific problem that i was going to have and i just wrote it and then I pitched it to everyone afterwards, being like, hey, this isn't hurting anyone. This is not far from the... This is better than the way we're doing it right now. How do people feel about it? And um, because it was a small change, I made it very small. It was like one file in a small little area. It's like, how do you feel about this idea? And um, eventually people were like, I don't know about it. But I paired with them and tried to solve for another problem that solved that problem well. Solved another problem well, and then eventually people were really bought in, and every all the business logic got turned into services. Like, add uh, the company was plated, so we we're making rec- we we're making food delivery boxes. So it's like, oh, add recipe to box, remove recipe from box, and just like really clear services about how a child would think about our business and do each business option, and there was really effective. Um. And I feel like that's usually the small, the best way to do it. I've done it also with another gem I wrote called Copy Bar Experiences, where it turns um, your front end copy bar code from like a spaghetti, spaghetti strings, and an unmaintainable mess into an object oriented API for your front end for testing. And what I'll usually do is like, I'm going to use it in this one test. This is better than what we've had before, and it's very small. And I'll show it to people and be like, oh, that's not bad. <laughs> and then usually from there, I'll be a nice change in terms of tooling. This is, that was one way I changed tooling um, or patterns. When it comes to culture, it's a bit different. Um, usually, what I'll try to do first is try to get uh, a retrospective up and running first, making sure that we have a place where we can, we're intentional about our process. A lot of shops, you won't have retrospectives or a way to place feedback or a way to discuss process or cultural norms. So, the most important part is starting a meeting about that's a regular, that's regular, a ritual um, that allows you to give feedback or change your process or your culture. Um, if you don't have that, that's the first thing you need to change and just get by and being like, hey, we want to change your culture, right? We want to have this discussion. Um, let's make a meeting about it and talk about it regularly. If you don't have that, you have a much larger problem. I don't know what to do if no one wants to change their culture or people are stuck in their ways or don't see the point. Um, Trying to change people's beliefs about culture is a whole other thing uh, that I am interested in, but I'm not sure it's relevant here. (laughs) But getting the retro up and running, is most important getting somewhere where we can give feedback and discuss what you want to change about your process or your culture. Then from there, just Discussing how you're feeling, like using um, and if you're not good at discussing how you're feeling, uh, read up on nonviolent communication (NVC). It's really basic. It's you start off with like an I statement, an emotion feeling. Uh, like I feel uh, angry or sad or frustrated when I have to do this thing or when you do this thing. And it's a really nice feedback structure for code and for other people and processes. Um, You don't have to state the thing and how it should change. The most important thing is just to state what's wrong. Uh, And then from there, being able to collaboratively create systems or patterns or new ways of interacting with each other that allows us to... uh, Live in harmony. Ah, that's gone too far. But (laughs) um, making it a little easier and towards the culture that you desire.
0: Yeah, I've always had a... I don't know what you want to call it. Just a um, cringe whenever I hear code smell. Because Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I think that is a direct... It's another way of saying like, hey, the code you wrote is crap. That's why it smells like it's crap. Mm -hmm. And my goal is not to insult someone or to make them feel sad or upset. So I like using the phrase that this code has an opportunity for improvement. Because you're essentially saying the same thing, but it can be perceived in a different way. And I think our approach, and this is something that it's taken me over 40 years to finally realize, is that the words that we say do matter and our approach to things matter as well. And it it wasn't until I had kids that I realized like, I can't just go out and say what I'm feeling to that child because... (laughs) (laughs) it may not be received well. And if my end goal is to make a change or to have that person change their behavior, then my approach to it is going to be different. And what I found with having four kids is that each of these little monsters are all differently approachable. The same approach does not work for the next child as the other child that I have to meet them where they're at and then work with them. If I try to use the standardized approach for all four, it's not going to work. Either three of them will be crying or one of them will be fighting and yelling. So it's unfortunate that we have to do that, but that's the reality that we live in. If
1: you have the energy to do that with your coworkers, I applaud you. I do not. I am not interested in parenting my coworkers. (laughs) But it is something that is necessary sometimes if you are a manager or a leader. It is absolutely true.
2: Uh, You make a good point about critique, right? Like critiquing is probably one of the most difficult things of our jobs, right? It's because we have a very review structured, uh, you know, to our work where. Everything is peer reviewed. If if you want to go through this quality process, right, uh, that we've set up through kind of these agile processes, but to go through that quality process, you get your code peer reviewed, and it basically goes through critique, right? Like, should this be structured this way? Uh, should you know? And, and fortunately, there are, are getting more systems in place to take a lot of the critiquisms out, right? Where. You know, we have code formatters and and things like this that take away a lot of the interpersonal critiques that you can come about just by like reviewing something, right? Um, but I feel like that's definitely one of the the harder problems is how do you how do you not how do you set the right tone, right, when you're critiquing? Uh, and it's easy. Uh, I I have personally made mistakes in the past reviewing like somebody's code with just like a bunch of like incessant comments uh you know just calling out everything that i saw as i went where it's like that's not really the right way to do it right <laughs> Like because it sets a tone where oh like you know any comment that you get is going to be negative and so I, I even today will you know leave positive comments while i'm reviewing just to balance any other critiques that i may have that maybe are valid and need to be called out but you know if too many are there, you know, it, it's almost not worth commenting, right? Like it's, well, let's have a discussion because, uh, if there are are too many critiques, then it really just means that expectations were, uh, not clear. Right. And somebody had either gone a direction that they didn't know, um, they should have gone through, uh, or the, you know, problem itself was not set up in a way that they could go. So like, I feel like a lot of times, uh, Anytime you find yourself like just hammering away at comments on a on a critique of something, it's often just like, all right, we need to have a discussion uh, on uh, what we really are trying to accomplish. Because even if you have that discussion yourself, so oftentimes you'll realize maybe this is the way that it should work, or you know, you can realize a lot of things uh, about the critique by just like turning it internally as well. Uh, going back to the empathy, uh, right? Uh, empathy hires. Definitely is a great pathway to that. Uh, being able to think about how the, you know your critiques would would affect somebody else as well. Um, I don't know. That's not a takeaway
1: that I had. <laughs> I've definitely um, I joined a new company, and I this was played at the staffing um, job, and I got there, and within the first week, I'm going through this code on a team called the Bomb Squad because of how many errors were going on with, within the company. It was so bad. By the time I left, it, by the time the company shut down, there were no more errors. It was great. <laughs> Happy ending. But in the beginning, um, we are at one meeting, and I was like, this code is bad. Like, this is really... I cannot. This is... We need to make time to rewrite this. Like, this is giving me unpleasant feelings. And afterwards, <laughs> I leave the meeting... And the director of engineering comes over to me and is like, Hey, Ryan, it it hurt that you said that because I wrote that code. (laughs) I was like, Oh, damn it. (laughs) It's like, I'm not sure how else to convey, though, how I'm feeling about it. Like, it is bad code. Like, objectively, this is poorly written code. But also, yes, I understand that you wrote that. Like, Dave, I think you had a good point. Like, there's a lot of room for improvement here. Is a great way to say something <laughs> and trying to come at it from a place of kindness. Um, I think there's also place, though, to be resilient in that feedback. Like, knowing how to hear, like, you're gonna get feedback from so many people and definitely an unpolished ways. And, like, learning to mm-hmm. hear that feedback without getting defensive or reactionary is such an important skill. Like, as much as it is to give good feedback, with learning how to receive the feedback. Is, is uh, so important. And like, I'm not saying that we should be stoic, but trying to hear the truth in what they're trying to say and acknowledge that they're human and also acknowledge that they might be really mean that doesn't have to take away from what they're saying either. It's like, you said that meanly, and also you're right. Um, both can be true. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, It's so hard navigating that fine line of giving, receiving, being being kindness and hearing effectively and also just trying to say it because sometimes it's better to say it than not say it at all. Like find the imperfect way to say it because I I hope that within a a good culture that one can receive it well or figure out a way to um, understand if you're saying it from a kind place, they can understand that you're not meaning harm. And then they can give you feedback, like my director did, that it was hurtful. And <laughs> it's like, okay, I have to be kinder about this.
0: Man, I, I know we can go on and talk about emotions and <laughs> our approach to calling out bad code all day. Uh, I mean, I've had to deal with it a lot. Like, And a lot of it was my own junk that I created 10 years prior. So I mean, I I know we've all been there, but one project I was working on that I did not create, I got brought into, they were doing i18n, So internationalization, translations. And instead of using YAML files, it was in a Excel file. Not even a CSV. It was in a legit Excel file. And so with it being binary, You cannot have two people making changes on it and without like getting a merch conflict that just is not solvable. So I just, you know, posed like uh, one day I said, hey, we've been having some merch conflicts and it's been causing a lot of headaches because it's in the translations Excel file. I think if we were to take this approach, it would then solve these issues I've been experiencing and then got the buy-in, made the change. We've been a lot happier since. So I think that, unfortunately, even in a small team, there can be a sense of politics that we had to navigate around and really just have a tactful approach. So, you know, uh, kind of back to that Ernie Miller uh, website, humane org. You no, know, we are humans developing software for humans for now until AI comes in and replaces us. Well, I think we are starting to hit that mark. Are there any closing uh, thoughts you want to leave us with, Ryan or Valentino?
1: Be kind. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, was just, I was about to say the exact same thing. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Pivotal had a. A saying that I still resonate with and kind of take with me in each job, and the three rules were: do the right thing, do what works, and be kind. And um, I think in general, those are great ways to to work with each other and just be with each other.
0: Awesome. Well, Ryan, if people want to follow what you're doing online, is there uh, do you have a social media presence that they can follow you?
1: Everything on my social media has nothing to do with programming, so I'm not going to share it. it. tends to go more with dance stuff than programming. I have a whole mindful dance life outside of programming. So I'm not interested in sharing it though. So thank you though.
0: Okay. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, let's move on to some picks. And that's just where we kind of pick whatever is interesting and going on in our life that Maybe tech or non tech related. So, Valentino, do you want to kick us off?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, I just listened to kind of an incredible uh, podcast, uh, Changelog, uh, where they had Jose Valim for those that don't know, uh, was, that, was an, a former Rails uh, contributor uh, turned creating Elixir uh, with Erlang. Uh, and it, he basically, it was a breakdown of everything that they've released recently with their live book uh, demonstrations. Uh, and live book is, is kind of like Jupyter Notebooks uh, on, on Elixir. Uh, and it's just incredible, all the different things that you can do within the Elixir ecosystem. I know we're on Ruby Roads right now. <laughs> uh, Elixir. But, uh, the Elixir, they just like basically wrapped the entire machine learning, uh, ecosystem, uh, into the language in a, like a fork of Elixir, uh, in a, like a, its own ecosystem called Nix. Uh, and it's, it's remarkable. And you basically have access to hugging face models, uh, in a very easily deployable and replicatable, uh, you know, distributed processing system. So it's like, it's the most wild thing I've ever seen. But anyway, in this, uh, <laughs> in this changelog episode, he goes through and breaks down all the different things that they're working on. And uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm definitely checking it out. Uh,
1: going to play around with some Bumblebee.
0: That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Any other picks or is that is that it?
1: Uh, check out my gem copy bar experience. <laughs> <laughs> um. It, it, I just released it about a month ago, and cool. it 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 can really change the way you do front end testing. Um, it kind of uses a form of page, page objects, and it really tries to. And it solves the entire problem of the longevity of uh, front end taste testing, which is uh, pretty wild. Um, usually after working on a project for like three years or so, changing anything in the front end means you have to change 50 or 60 front end tests. Um, <clears throat> this allows you to change one or two files. So that, that's really it.
0: That's awesome. And so I'm going to pick a website that I created and released last night uh, in response to another website that someone created and released the day prior. So someone created go with PHP.com and it was the PHP propaganda why you should use PHP. So I created go with Ruby dot com. And that is my take on the Ruby propaganda as to why everyone should use Ruby. So I will pick that and share that with you all. All right. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about the uh emotional side of programming
1: it's my pleasure love to talk about it
0: all right well that's all for this one uh thank you all for listening